You know, some of you are not going to like me right now because I'm going to hand this out again. And you're thinking to yourself, Gio, I have plenty of them. I do not need any more. There's two reasons why I'm giving it to you again. One is that the more you see it, the more you'll be reminded of your oikos. Number two, your oikos is always changing because people are moving in and out of your life. And so in order for you to update your oikos, I'm going to have my lovely assistant and my wife, Karen. I'm not going to ask Alex because Alex injured himself playing a vicious basketball game at the Naval Base and suffered a calf injury. If you don't know by now, Alex is a basketball player, although he does not look like one, he's a very good one. He is a very good basketball player. Us short guys, we got to stick together. That's my philosophy. This is our, our new paradigm. If you've been in our church more than 10, over 10 years, maybe say 15 or over, maybe that's a better marker there, you have a substantial challenge in how you process ministry. Even though our paradigm has shifted, I find myself going, reverting back to what, I, what I've been taught and what I've been living like for the last 20 Four years. I'm still developing my mind into the oikos. It's still, I want to default back into my old way of thinking. And so I just wanted to share that with you because you might relate to me in how we start thinking about oikos and we start reverting back to how we used to do ministry. This week, the oikos principle, it is basically realizing your, your relational world. That is the primary way that Jesus spread his message. And it has an impact on the people that are living around you today. Let's say a prayer together and we'll get our lesson going. God, thank you so much for revealing to us the people that you've put in our life. So that we can develop a relationship with them and help them if they're open to Jesus to find Jesus. Help us to be aware how much you care about people and how you supernaturally put them in our lives. In and out, they're there. And we're so thankful that you've opened our eyes to such a cause as this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, our, our topic is oikos, but it's the investing of oikos. A financial advisor says to his client, I have bad news and worse news. What do you want to hear first? The client says, I want to hear the bad news. The financial advisor says, all your money will be gone in 24 hours. Oh my gosh, the client says. What could be worse than that? I should have told you yesterday. (laughs) When you talk about investment, it's risky. But when it comes to helping people find Jesus in your oikos to repent and believe the good news, There's no other way than to help them. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to look at that passage today. But before I share that passage, I wanted to share with you that investing was not a part of my, for 20-some years, was not a part of my strategy to make disciples. I went looking for people that were instantaneously open in the moment that I met them, and if not, I moved on. Sometimes I would make a list if I was that disciplined, I'd put them on a piece of paper if my leader told me to. I'd write their number down. And maybe I'd call them once in a while. 
and then they would die off after a few weeks because I didn't like doing that. I would want to move on to people. And I met hundreds and thousands of people that way. And I just moved on. I never occurred to me unless they were open to invest. I only invested if they were like, wow, I was really thinking about God today. And then I would pour my energy into them. Invest in them and watch them to become disciples. If they didn't show any interest in my initial interaction, I would just move on. The problem was I never got their permission to have a two-way conversation. It was only my way telling them about Jesus. And if they didn't respond very well, I just moved on and forgot about them. I've done that to hundreds of people. Now, I'm just sharing that with you because that's where I go and revert to sometimes. So let's look at this passage together. Jesus in Mark chapter 2, it reads, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, that's the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd came to him and began to teach, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. You know, as Jesus began his tenure as a rabbi, he had already called a number of people to follow him. You know, whether it was in the synagogue, whether throughout Galilee, he was on a mission. He was, he was meeting people. We know that he met, you know, Andrew and, Andrew and Peter, James and John. He met them over, uh, over, over some time because they were John, the, 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 the Baptist disciples. And so he had interacted with them and then he invited them to come out. My point is, we don't see Jesus asking people cold and they all of a sudden they go, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus likes to build rapport with people. And I'm going to make an argument today that Jesus actually built rapport with Matthew. Even though it doesn't explicitly say in the Bible, we can glean some things on how Jesus operates. He likes to build a little bit of a relationship before he asks you something to drop your career, drop your life, and to follow him. So afterwards, they returned to Capernaum, and that's where he finds Levi. And again, he went down to the Sea of Galilee, and there he sees a tax collector named Levi. You may know him as Matthew in the other Gospels, son of Alphaeus. Just like when Jesus called his first disciples, this was not random. For starters, Levi's booth was on a thoroughfare which everyone had to pass through because Rome wanted to make sure they taxed you. Whether you're using their facility or you're transporting goods, everyone had to pass through that road and they had to run into Levi because Levi was right there collecting Rome's tax and he would put an additional tax for himself to get rich. Secondly, Peter and Andrew were successful businessmen. They were fishermen. They had interaction with Matthew because they transported their fish via that road. And so, in fact, they may have known uh, Levi, but not liked him. Many people would have known Levi and not liked him. Thirdly, Capernaum was a small town. And if you were the Jewish tax collector in that town, believe me, people knew who you were. Because they knew you were cheating them out of their hard-earned money. Because not only were you taking Roman money, you were taking money for yourself. And that's why the, the tax collectors were so hated, because they would cheat their own people. Finally, in chapter 2 of, the, of Mark, Jesus feeds a number of people in Capernaum. Large numbers came to hear him speak. Whether it's from direct contact or indirect contact, G Matthew had interactions with disciples with the reputation of Jesus, it was more likely than not that Jesus had some kind of interaction with Matthew 
before he calls him to follow him and give up his life and career. Why is that important? Why is oikos important? Some people call it oikos, some people call it oikos. You might hear that interchangeably. I think I'm landing on oikos. Someone said it to me once, I'm like, that sounds more Greek than oikos. Oikos sounded a little different to me when I first heard it, and I liked it, but then I changed my mind. You you do that sometimes. Why do we have oikos? Why do we do it? We do it because we want to save people that are lost. That's the basic function of it. That's, That's the why. The how we do it is through transformational relationships. Think about the people that studied the Bible with you. They became relationships that were transformational for you to go and I want to be different. I want to change. Transformational. And the who is the local church. We do it. One of the basic truths of oikos, the principle, is that it's built that no meaningful conversation can happen with the permission of two people. You have to have both people's permission to have a meaningful conversation with them about life and God. And I believe prior relationship, although may have not been friendly with, with Levi, that was instrumental in Levi responding to Jesus when he calls him. When you begin to ID your oikos, that's why you have this sheet. When you begin to ID them and write them down, it's a good thing to start with people you already know. And it's broken up in, it's broken up in little different categories that I'm going to go through here in a second. But in verse 15, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with them and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. You know, a short, whether this could have been a short time later. This could have been the same day. I don't know. But he invites Jesus over for dinner. Hospitality. That's a great way of investing. And maybe he was throwing a farewell party. Maybe he wanted to be around, you know, wanted his friends to meet Jesus. Whatever the reason, Jesus accepts the invitation and has dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. I don't know what Matthew's motivation was. It's not clear. But he wanted more than just a casual relationship with Matthew. At least Jesus did. Here's another basic truth about oikos. Once a relationship is ID'd, it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be invested in. And that is exactly what we see Jesus doing. He's investing in the relationship. So we have these cards. And on the top it says the pre-Christians. People that you know that maybe aren't Christians that you have on the list that, that, that you know. They're in your world. You write them down. Investing in these people. Spending time with them. Having them over. Making them lunch. Having lunch with them. But they're there. It's investing. And like any investment, there's a little bit of risk involved. The purpose of the cards is to help you be laser focused on what you're trying to hit. You know, Emmett Smith's coach had him write down things on a card, his dreams and his goals. And he told Emmett Smith, if you don't know, he's the greatest running back ever in the NFL history with the most yards. I'll say that with, you know, technicality, most yards. And he was a Dallas Cowboy. Let's hear it for that. But to write it down, he told him, if you don't write it down, it's not going to happen. So we want to write it down. We want to be focused on it. We want you to be praying for this list 
every day. Now, are you going to spend time with 15 people in one week? No, you shouldn't. That's, that's a lot. But they're on your list. They're on your radar. You're praying for them. And you're going to invest time into them. Then there's these people called prodigals. People that have wandered away that you know were once followers of Jesus. And they've wandered away. Put, some, put one or two down there. We've all known someone who we've been friends with that have left. Maybe they don't live in this area. Maybe they live in another area. But maybe they're on your phone. And through technology, we can connect with them. Maybe we can text them and encourage them. The next is purposefuls. These are people that are actually living, living and breathing disciples of Jesus. That you need to be strengthened from. You go there for encouragement, for strengthening. Here's our old model. The group leader would make sure that he's taking care of everyone in their group. That's the thing. The leader's supposed to make sure everyone's doing well spiritually. In this model, we're saying, no, you take care of yourself spiritually. You find your purposefuls. You find people that are going to help encourage you. And you seek them out. And they're on their list and you're praying for them. And you're setting up time with them. And then there are the potentials. And this is where I put Matthew the tax collector. He's a potential. He's hated. He's a Capernaum. I see him. He might have stopped by and looked at him. Hey, how you doing? But he's a potential. He was someone that Jesus targeted that one day might become a follower, one day might do something greater. He was a potential. He was a potential because Jesus wanted to invest a little bit of time relationally to see where he's at. And he goes to his house and he has dinner with them and sinners. What did Jesus risk? Well, for Matthew, he didn't risk much. But for Jesus, he risked his reputation. Because from this point forward, Jesus is criticized that he hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with tax collectors. He hangs out with nefarious people. What kind of rabbi does that? What kind of rabbi are you following? He follows people that don't obey the law. He follows the cheaters. He's with them. So Jesus, by investing, was risky. And in any relationship, it's always risky. It always is. I want to give you some practicals. Some, for some, you're like, Geo, this is so obvious. For others, it may not be obvious. But investing in a relationship takes communication. It takes the expression and receiving of thoughts and ideas and feelings of another person. You don't get this all the time through texting. To think you have great communication through text, I think you might be a little bit off. Because real communication is living, breathing people that are right there. They can see your expression. They can see how your voice fluctuates. They can see whether you really care. You're communicating something. Through text, half the time I'm offended. What do they mean by that? What's the tone here? What's happening? And then the guy's like, it's just a question. I don't know. Right? You've been there. You've been there. And your wife says something. You're like, what? what? Don't you think I was? Yeah, yeah, you've been there. <laughs> it's a place where you can communicate your ideas clearly and honestly, fully listening. That's investing, communicating. The second one is respect, which means to hold someone else's ideas and existence in a positive light or, or high esteem. That might be different from yours. You know, I used, to, I used to devalue people that didn't think like me at one point. I would devalue, oh, yes, they're obviously not, obviously they're missing something 
So I would devalue. No, that's not, I was being disrespectful of the relationship. And it was harmful. It was bad. Respect when I'm investing is, hey, I appreciate we have a different perspective. I'm respecting who they are. Because without respect for oneself and for other people, a relationship cannot thrive. It can't thrive without respect. How do you show respect? You treat people or treat others how they would want to be treated. And you only know that like when you communicate with them, their needs. That's when you know. Or the Jesus rule, treat them how you want to be treated. But sometimes that doesn't work because you're like, tell me the truth. You know, that's what I want. And then you do it and then you hurt someone's feelings. So, so I, I always find, I always balance those two. What do they need? Because sometimes when I say what, how I want to be treated, what I want to be, I want them to be upfront and direct with me. And then I do that and then it offends them. Right? So just balance those two concepts. The third one is honesty. I call it realness. When you're investing in people and, you, and, you, and your life seems so perfect, how are they going to grasp Jesus? How are they going to get an on-ramp to Jesus if you're the disciple that shows no weaknesses, there is no chinks in your armor, you are solid as they come, you are amazing, and they should follow Jesus. And they're going like, I am struggling really bad here. I, I can't even relate to super, Jesus, super disciple over here, hyper-Christian. I can't. So honesty is a big part. Revealing yourself to those you invest is huge. And that's risky because you're the Christian disciple and you're risking your reputation as a disciple just like Jesus did when he was hanging out with Matthew. He put something at risk. I, when, I, when I share and invest with people, I tell them where I'm at that week, how I'm doing that week, how lost I feel. I've told three people this week how lost I feel as a father. I'll tell you the same thing. Lost. Completely. Every day is a, the oceans, thank God. I'm like, whoa, I don't know where I'm at sometimes. Sometimes I think I'm doing a great job. Sometimes I think I'm a horrible person, a horrible day. It's up and down. And that's where I'm at. And I just tell people that's where I'm at this week. And I'll probably be there for the next four years. If you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard. It's difficult. But honesty is a crucial part of the investment. The fourth one, and I only pick four, is empathy. And this is, this is very important because empathy is the vicarious experience of thoughts and feelings and emotions of another person. It, it just is vicarious. They, they, they have it. It's not sympathy. It goes deeper than sympathy. It's empathy. It is the ultimate sign of support for the other person because you truly walk in their shoes and experience what they experience. Empathy. Example. If you have kids that are, that are, that are whatever, teenagers or younger or whatever. I'm just giving you my world. Man, my teacher doesn't teach. She's terrible. My temptation thought is to confess. It's never the teacher, it's you. You lack character. Right? Empathy says, man, I can, I can get that. Same from your shoes perspective, you, you know, you're just, you're not connected. I totally get that. I can understand that. I can see that. Empathy. 
I can't tell you how many times I wasn't empathetic when I should have been empathetic. And when you're empathetic, it just connects you to a person so well. You're like, wow, this person is human. Because empathy is powerful. As Stephen Covey describes it, it's first to seek to understand, then to be understood. And focus on truly understanding what the other person is going through and what they're feeling without trying to fix it, without trying to respond to it, or ignoring it completely. Because so many times when someone gives, is, it tells me a sad story, in my love for them, I want to give them solutions. When I should be giving them empathy. They probably already know the solution. They're not dumb. But what they're wanting from me and from you is empathy. And they say specifically ask me, how do you do this? Then I'll, you know, I'll tell them. But if they're sharing, my go-to is, let me give them some awesome advice. But it's empathy that fills the need in any relationship. It's huge. Investment. It's risky. When the teachers of the law and the who were, uh, law who were Pharisees saw him eating, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So there's a group of Pharisees or, or teachers of the law, how you want to call them. They see Jesus entering the house of Levi and his friends who were called sinners. And they start to become indignant. They're complaining. He should know better. What kind of company is this guy keeping? And Jesus hears this. These are the people that need us the most. God's put someone in your life who you're like, they're a sinner. They'll, they turn me off. I can't stand to be around. They're in your oikos. You probably don't even consider them because they're so far out there, but they're still in your world and you've already written them off. That's the person that should be on your own cause because you don't pick your oikos. God picks it for you. You just identify them. Because if we picked our oikos, we'd pick everyone we like. You're not in charge of that. Your job is to ID them. Even that person who is the sinner. Even that person you're like, everyone hates him and for good reason. But he's in your world. God put him in your world for some reason because God wants you to invest in them. But if I do, what will my neighbors think? Nobody likes this guy in my neighborhood and I'm going to go over there and hang out with this guy? They're going to think that me and him are, are colluding with the same crimes. But he's in your world and he's in my world too. They are the people who, knew Jesus, who need Jesus the most, right? A clear rebuke. The Pharisees missed the boat 
when it came to loving people. They were, the, they were outside, and Jesus was inside. And I never want to be on the outs with Jesus. I want to be where Jesus is at. And Jesus seems to be with people that are risky, that he's investing in. And he's risking his reputation. The dictionary describes investing as this. Expending money with the expectation of achieving a profit or material result. Or two, devoting one's time, one's effort, or one's energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. In both cases, investing requires taking risk. You have to risk something in order to get something. And that's exactly what Jesus did with Levi. Not money, but like I said, reputation. He did it because he wanted to give Levi a chance to repent and believe the good news. And I say that by chance because there are no guarantees that the people you invest in will follow Jesus. It's a risk. But Jesus did it anyway. Question for you. What are you willing to risk to help people that God has put supernaturally and strategically in your life? What are you willing to risk to help those people? If you're like me, it's going to require either time, what I do, treasure, what I value. Maybe I spend some money. Maybe I buy them lunch. Maybe my talent Or maybe some of all three. I spend time, I, 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 I drive out to Westlake to meet 10 guys I play soccer with. I go to church with, if I'm Oikos. On Wednesday morning, I go to church, and I have 10 visitors. Such a good feeling to say that. Because the I feel ashamed and terrible that I know I'm at church for, you know, weeks. But I go there and see 10 guys who are a little on the rough side, soccer players. They curse at church. They yell at church. They accuse me of cheating at church. When I ask them, name my, if I can, tell me what it is, they're all, I was just joking. You're the minister, we know you're honest. Okay, it's good, I'm honest. Those are the guys I'm trying to impact. And every week, I pick one of those 10 and have a meaningful conversation. I already have their permission because we're friends. So I elevate the discussion. Hey, how's your marriage? How's life? Here's how my week's going. How's your week going? And we get in the conversation. I did that with one guy. He got, I told him, hey, I, I, I'm not sure about my kids. I don't know if they're going to believe or what. I, I don't know. I don't, they may or not. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm at a loss. Gio, can I pray? For, can, we, can, we, can we pray right now? I'm like, <gasps> And he told me about his kid, same situation. So here we are praying after practice, playing soccer, playing church, going to church, and we're praying. He's the head coach of the women's Pepperdine soccer team. And we have a ministry about 25 there. And I'm going like, how do I connect him to their Oikos? Or wait a minute, that's the old line. He's part of my Oikos. So we're developing that relationship through investment, through time, 
I'm the oldest guy out there. I'm the slowest guy out there. And I'm not even remotely as good as those guys. But they have me come out because I'm a good goalkeeper. I'm kind of large now, so it's a small net. And I can block things because I got a large, you know, I'm large now. So they like because I stop a lot of goals. I just do a lot of this. And they love that. I can't dribble anymore. I can't score goals anymore. But I said, why do you guys have me out? Because you're the best guy in the people we have. I said, okay, I'll keep coming. My old cost wants me to keep coming. Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to, called to him those who'd want it. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I love when I read demons now because I know they're real. They, these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. We all know that guy, the fisherman. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. You know, that's Zebedee's son. You know them. They, they got met there on the, on the shores. To them he gave him the, the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, who was a John's disciple. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You may have missed it, but Levi is in the list because his name is also Matthew. What was once a potential for Jesus, be, Matthew was once a potential for Jesus, who now is called to become an apostle of Jesus. Transformational relationships. That's what Oikos has. Tradition tells us that Levi, Matthew, took the message all the way to his death in Ethiopia. It's not, it's Ethiopia is modern day, uh, below Egypt, a, a country called Sudan. All the way till his death. Jesus' investment into, into Levi paid big dividends. Was it worth it? Absolutely. The same is true for your oikos. Your investment is worth it. I can't say every person you invest in is going to become a Christian. But I can tell you this. It's worth it. It's worth the risk. It's worth the investment. It's why we became Christians. To live life with purpose. Not just to come to church. This is not a landing site. I want to launch you. I want to send you to your oikos. You don't have to bring them here first. When they, whenever you have lunch, wherever you go with them, you're having church with them. I tell our college students, I said, how was Bible talk? We had three visitors at church. That's awesome. You walk into your office, you have 15 visitors at church. Go invest. Go to a basketball court, you got five other guys at church. Everywhere you go, you got visitors galore. See, in the old model, we have to bring them into this building to count. You got to bring them in here. When's the last time you had a visitor, bro? How's your faith? And just demoralize the bro, 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 bro. He might have shared his faith more times than anyone in the church, but no one came to this building, no one came to this kirka, and he's so discouraged, and he tried the most. You see how discouraging that is? This is to launch you and to send you out. 
But I can't say that none of them will become Christians if you don't invest them. You have to invest. Otherwise, they have no chance. Even the risky ones. So start investing in your oikos. I've started doing it, and I've already seen the results. Investing. Friends, neighbors, relatives, school, work. It's powerful. Investing in your oikos is not a quick fix. It is a long haul. And in some cases, you might not see a return for a long, long time. In others, you may never see a return. But when you do, it's worth all the risk. So let's go out into our worlds and realize and identify our oikos so we can invest in them. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention.